0: A welcome to episode four of our Inside Business podcast sessions from the Open Data Institute. Episode four, Developing Post-Pandemic Data Strategy. Why culture change should power your data strategy. Thanks for joining us today. I'm super excited to have a very relevant guest joining us today. But before I introduce our guest, I'd like to just reiterate and share some thoughts we have on data strategy at the Open Data Institute. A survey conducted by YouGov in April 2020 showed that only 27% of UK businesses, including micro-businesses, small and medium-sized enterprises, and larger organisations, say that they actively share data with other organisations or individuals. Yet data sharing can help businesses increase revenue reduce costs and improve efficiency in their operations. Doing so requires a robust and viable data strategy. In our work at the Open Data Institute, we frequently come across two core challenges when we talk to people and organizations about their data strategies. Firstly, many assume data strategy is only about the governance of data and or its use as an asset to inform tactical decisions. Secondly, culture people and organizational change are rarely featured in their strategies thereby leaving little or no teeth in tactics or execution uh, which they need to expedite what they're trying to achieve so that's some context from us i'm delighted to have with me today a very very relevant guest to talk about data strategy i'm delighted to introduce robin sutara chief data officer Microsoft UK. Robin, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much, Stuart, for having me. So
0: I'd like to to give a little bit of background to Robin, perhaps a slightly longer introduction than we have done on some of our previous podcasts, because Robin has a, a really relevant background in a wide variety of industries and roles. Robin's been a member of the Microsoft UK solutions leadership team responsible for data and AI for some time. Under Robin's leadership, This team provides technical and industry-specific data expertise to Microsoft's UK customers and partners and helps them enable data strategies in modernization, analytics and data governance. Robin's been at Microsoft since 1999 across a, a range of leadership roles, including services, sales, operations and engineering. Prior to Microsoft, Robin worked at Tandy Services and served four years in the US Army as a weapons repair engineer working on the Apache helicopter platform. Robin has law and law master's degrees in intellectual property law from Western Michigan Cooley Law School and is currently pursuing a graduate certificate in engineering and technology management from Stanford University. That keeps her pretty busy, but when not working or studying, Robin is also kept very busy with four daughters and her efforts to train for endurance events, including taking on a European Ironman event in Copenhagen in August of this year. Robin's fresh to the UK, having moved here in lockdown of January this year. So I'd like us to extend a warm welcome to her. And we're delighted to be talking to her about data strategy. Thanks for coming again, Robin.
1: Thank you, thank you so much. Looking forward to the conversation.
0: So we talk about data strategy in our view at the Open Data Institute, but what about at Microsoft? What does, what does data strategy mean to Microsoft?
1: Yeah, Microsoft has been on their own journey, you know, if you think about it for the last several years. And really what it's come down to is sort of two attributes, I think, uh, when we think about a data strategy. First is uh, data capabilities. And that really depends on, you know, where an organization or even a department within a a large company like Microsoft is on their sort of data journey. So it could be anything from, Modernizing legacy systems to thinking about leveraging the capabilities of the cloud with cloud-native applications or development. Uh, thinking about you know analytics, insights, data science, data governance. Uh, but the second attribute that I think is most relevant to today's conversation with uh, for us is really the data culture. And so, you know, how do you instantiate a data culture within your organization? This has definitely been a journey that Microsoft has been on for the last several years. I think it's been fairly public. uh, Some of the changes that Satya has made to the organization uh, that has really resulted in us driving a more data-driven culture. And the characteristics I think that we attribute to a data culture are, uh, you know, first, democratizing data and making it available in a transparent way across the organization to find the right data at the right time. The second characteristic really is ensuring that employees feel enabled and empowered to be able to make decisions based on on data as opposed to relying on established routines or looking to senior leadership to make decisions. And then the third attribute is really encouraging a growth mindset and sort of a fail-fast iterative mentality to leverage data, make decisions, drive for progress, and then, uh, you know, have the empowerment and capability to be able to iterate and change on that depending as the data
0: changes. Wow, okay. So that's, I mean, that's quite a lot of change that you talked about there in, in the different characteristics. I mean, can you give an example of something specifically that's happened inside the organization where employees have been empowered to kind of be involved in that transformation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We have a a great example that was actually driven by our chief people officer. Uh, So, historically, what would happen at Microsoft is once per year, the employees were given what's called the MS poll. And this was the opportunity for employees to give feedback around compensation, tools, um, how they felt about the mission that we were working toward, how they felt toward leadership, et cetera. And the interesting part was it was given once per year, the results would come out, leaders would look at the results for their given organization, create plans and implement, but then they would have to wait a full year before they could determine if there was actually any improvement to employees' capability to do their job or even their sentiment around what they had available to them and so Several years ago, our our senior leadership team decided to take a pivot and actually really drive employee enablement through more regular feedback mechanisms. And what that has resulted in is what we call the daily pulse. So every day, some percentage of the Microsoft employee population is actually sent a very, very small survey that questions on specific items that that, uh, the senior leadership is focused on, and it enables them to get real-time feedback and make real time adjustments and modifications to the employee situation so a great example i think is what happened during the global pandemic so like many Uh, Microsoft instituted a work-from-home policy. And so many of us came and started working from home. And through the Daily Pulse, they were able to uncover things like people didn't have the right hardware resources. And so how do we create a new program that allowed for purchase of things like monitors or a desk or a chair to be able to uh, allow employees to actually function more effectively and efficiently from home? Most recently, I think you saw in the news where Microsoft uh, announced additional well-being days, and that was also a result of real-time feedback from employees about balancing work and life and, and trying to keep those things during the global pandemic in, in sort of check. And so just by being able to leverage the data and the feedback that senior leadership is receiving from employees on that regular basis, they're able to in, you know institute real-time changes as a result of the data.
0: That's great. I mean, that's a that's a nice example of. Uh, I, I guess I guessing also contrasting it to the per annum approach, you, you maybe are able to kind of get into tune more with the desires and ambitions for the workforce and, and support talent management as well as support well being. Right. I mean, I guess if you can understand the desires and ambitions of your workers, you can potentially support them too, as you need to.
1: Absolutely. And so it allows for like real-time change of tools or real-time change of processes or some of the things that, uh, you know, when we think people process and technology, being a technology company, we have to keep in mind that it's not always a tech issue. Uh, And so I I love the fact that our uh, leaders are able to get uh, and receive and use data to be able to sort of make those decisions and changes.
0: Yeah, thank you. And for that example, it's a good one. I'm sure many large corporates could associate with, uh, certainly over the last year, they would probably love to have that type of in- intelligence on what their employees are feeling by using data. I'd like to just talk about your role specifically, obviously introduce introducing your role earlier as being one that's working with customers and partners. Um, how, can you kind of just outline why you think the, the chief data officer role is, is becoming more formalised and that how in your own experience that plays out. Uh, not every organization's fortunate enough to have a dedicated chief data officer, but, but how do you see the direction of travel in this role in, in your work?
1: Yeah, it's, I'm I'm super fortunate to have the opportunity to speak to many sort of chief data, chief data and analytics, chief analytics officers across many, many organizations. Within the last, you know, eight weeks since being in role, I've had an opportunity to speak to many uh, here in the UK. And it's super interesting. The role itself has not been around for very long, uh, as you know. Uh, and each organization is sort of creating the foundation of what their expectations for this role are. And Within each organization, it actually varies very, very widely. So uh, some some of the uh, individuals in this role I speak to are very focused around governance of data or analytics of data, or what are my technology decisions around my data platform. And then some are focused uh, on culture or any combination thereof of the four. And so, uh, you know, I spend about 75% of my time right now speaking to customers directly and really talking to them as they think about driving those things. What is the right balance between the technology decisions they're making, driving a data culture? How do they establish the strategy within their organization? Uh, and making sure that there's a balance between the technology decisions that they're making and how do we enable and prepare them to be able to have sort of those culture conversations to prepare them for. Success. And
0: I mean, you mentioned data governance. So we have a lot of conversations at the Open Data Institute with people about data governance. And it find it means different things to individuals, to different organisations, depending on their, their operating environment. But what do you think it means from what you're seeing with your customers and partners, having been, been in this role for well, certainly in the UK since January, but but in your time at Microsoft?
1: Yeah, I mean, even coming from the engineering organization, I think the perspective on governance is very broad, depending on which organization, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of talking to. It can be anything from, you know, what data do I have? Who has access to the data? What's the lineage? Can I apply policy and maintain that? Am I meeting the re- regulatory and compliance requirements of my local jurisdiction, as well as the jurisdictions I do business with? Uh, you know, I think GDPR started here in the EU. And now we're seeing expansion of that to the US with things like California enacting CCPA, or I believe Delaware just passed some recent legislation within the last few weeks. And so as organizations try to think about that holistic understanding and really not just the technical facets, but the business and privacy and semantic facets of all of the data in the right business context and who owns it, who can access it, where do I have the PII. I just think data governance is going to be a a big concern, as you know, for many, many organizations uh, as we continue.
0: So, fragmentation of data regulations in different jurisdictions, how do you see that impacting certain clients in different sectors? So, for, I mean, for example, you know, at the Open Data Institute, we're working in the healthcare sector at the moment with, with a range of clients who are asking us to to help them understand the flows around that sector better across jurisdictions where the regulations are different. And what are you seeing of that in, in different clients or with different clients in different sectors?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's even limited to the highly regulated industries anymore. When we think about healthcare and financial services, I mean, they clearly have uh, incremental regulatory requirements, but even the commercial businesses are really uh, struggling, I think, these days to to understand what is the impact of the data that they have. Simple things like scanning and classification of data and just ensuring that PII uh, data is marked appropriately is accurate. Absolutely forefront, I think, of every organization as they try to understand what their data estate looks like, what data exists within their environments, and how do they ensure that they're being compliant uh, against the regulatory requirements, but also, you know, putting a people-centric sort of framework on it. How do they think about their customers and, and the expectations that their customers have around how their data is being handled, all of those facets, um, which I, I know that ODI puts some significant effort in and around.
0: Yeah, I mean, talking about people, so, uh, I mean, we're passionate about trying to support organizations with guidance and frameworks to help them develop skills and capability uh, we've got an asset we've developed which uh, is, is openly available called the data skills framework what does data? you know what, what are the data skills that you see organizations needing most i mean it's it's always versed how oh, how few data scientists we have or how few technologists we have but, but but what do you see as the biggest challenges for skills when it comes to enabling data capability
1: yeah, I think part of that is technology is moving so quickly. Microsoft also has some uh, large efforts that that I'm sure you've read around uh, reskilling and skilling of, of talent, particularly as we come out of pandemic and jobs will sort of change. Uh, but I think Microsoft, uh, you know, has put sort of the perspective of how do we enable and empower as many people as possible. So when you think about low code or no code, or how do we create citizen data scientists or citizen data engineers. So that we can free up skilled resources uh, to be able to continue to innovate and deliver against that innovation, that is definitely an area of focus for us.
0: So this is helping create tools and services that less technical people can use to do the work that is traditionally viewed as, as needing to be delivered by more technical people? Is that is that uh, kind of what you're abs- saying? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What are the trade-offs in that, though? Because, I mean... <laughs> Isn't there a risk that you have? I mean, take something like machine learning. I mean, you don't want necessarily someone writing machine learning routine which where they might not have deep understanding of how, how some of the rules or decisions m- made that are informing that machine are, are devised. I mean, what do you see as the risks in pursuing that approach?
1: Yeah, I think this is where, I mean, it definitely comes down to the governance model that we have in place. And, and so how do you create that level of transparency and access and, and capability while at the same time managing policy and control to ensure that you're not exposing? Uh, it's interesting if you think about things like responsible or ethical AI, you know, how do we think about the transparency and openness of those things in the first place? How do we ensure, you know, we create tools and platforms that allow, as much transparency into the system so that people understand sort of what they're delivering against. I I think when we think about individuals and their skill sets and empowering as many non-technical to become more technical or to deliver against technical capabilities, uh, you'll you'll always sort of have the balance of, do I have the right governance and process and technology in in place that allows them to be successful while at the same time delivering, uh, you know, the regulatory requirements that I need to around my data sets.
0: So Robin, if if you're talking to clients who are looking to put together their data strategy, and they say to you, how do I make it a responsible data strategy? What do you tell them?
1: Yeah, I think the very foundation of that is making sure that we put people first, right? When when Microsoft thinks about that, we try to really keep ethical principles at the core of everything that we're building around AI and machine learning. Uh, you will never be able to fully have a non-people inclusive sort of uh, capability. And so when we think about transparency or fairness or ensuring that there's the, the capability to sort of balance between people and technology technology uh, i think we're definitely in the era where that's more important than ever i i have a there is one example that i can think of one of the the large gas providers has derived a new solution that allows for machine learning at the edge so essentially cameras at gas pumps which will detect if someone is smoking a cigarette and then give a person the capability to shut down the pumps if it's detected that somebody's smoking a cigarette uh, and prevent <laughs> fires and so yeah. when you think about you know the balance of, of safety and and delivery of a service to a consumer and not allowing the pumps to just be shut down automatically for all consumers without any sort of people intervention so I think every time we think about technology and the ev- evolution of AI and machine learning, how do we just make sure that we're putting people first, that we're treating people equitably and fairly, and that we create systems and tools and processes that enable and empower that with, with full transparency and capability to see what the systems are doing?
0: Okay, yeah. I mean, think that that certainly aligns to our our approach at the Open Data Institute and when we want to support organizations to develop um, I, I I found it super interesting chatting to you and talking to you about what you're doing and what Microsoft's doing thank you very much for your time today
1: thank you so much Stuart it was great to hear from you and uh, and all of the amazing work that ODI continues to deliver
0: thanks very much Robin thank you to you all for listening to this podcast Before we say goodbye, a quick reminder, if you'd like more information on the topics we've addressed today, or if you need some guidance about how to address data strategy in your organization, check out our latest blog on data strategy and our checklist for leaders. On the 31st of March, we'll be hosting a webinar on how to develop a transformative data strategy with an ecosystem approach. And we will be sharing tips and tools for using an ecosystem approach to data infrastructure planning. To sign up for the webinar and access other useful tools and resources, please visit the ODI website, theodi.org. We've also included links in the show notes for this episode, which you can find on the podcast webpage. Follow us on social media at odihq and visit our website, theodi.org. Thanks everyone for listening. See
1: you next time.